Chapter Fourteen of Yesterday Framed in Today by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fourteen. He hath sent me to bind up the broken-hearted. I don't think I understand your feeling," Frances said when her brother confessed to her that he could not rally from the pain of his bitter disappointment. It is God's plan that there should be a time to die. Surely you do not believe he would have allowed John to die before that time came? If you think that this stranger would have cured him, or that he can and will cure anybody who is ill, how is God's settled plan to be carried out? Why, David, that ideologically worked out, would abolish death. No, said David, you do not understand. If you had ever seen the man, you would be sure that he would perform no act except in line with the will of God. I do not feel sure that he would have cured John. It may have been, as you say, God's time for John to go. I do not believe I can make my meaning clear to you. It is not clear enough to myself to be formulated. Of one thing I am sure, this man, whomever he is, has special and very close relations with God, and appealing to him seemed almost like appealing to God himself. Do you not quite get my thought? No wonder. Never mind, what I felt was an unconquerable desire to bring him and John together, but I failed, and there is no use in talking about it now. He turned from her abruptly, and Francis could see that he was deeply and strangely moved. Toward the sunsetting of that sorrowful day, David came in from the garden where he had been at work, and sought Francis in the dining-room. "'Something must have happened in town,' he said. People who pass are absorbed in some exciting theme, to the extent that they do not even look toward the house, and that, you know, has been unusual of late with our house. A moment ago the Warfields passed, so eager in their talk that they neither saw nor heard me, though I called after Joseph with a dim idea of asking what had happened. "'I wish we did not live in quite such an isolated place,' was Frances's reply. We never get any news until the day afterwards. This is the least travelled road of any that leads to the city, but that is no wonder, when they keep it in the state they do. I thought Margaret would come home this evening. Didn't she say when she would come? Not definitely. There was no opportunity. She expected us there to-day, you know. However, Jonas would bring her down whenever she was ready to come. But I think they would keep her at least until to-morrow. They will be very desolate to-night. Ah, there is Philip. Now we shall hear what all the excitement is about. Political news of some sort, I presume. Frances went softly to close the door of her mother's room, that she might not be disturbed by the sound of voices, while David turned to welcome their guest. It required but a glance at his face to know that something had moved him powerfully. "'What is it?' David asked, before any greetings had been exchanged. "'Have you heard nothing?' he said eagerly. Nothing whatever. I have been close at home since I came from the Brownleys. But I was just saying to Francis that something had occurred to create an excitement. I felt it in the people who passed. What has happened? When did you come from the Brownleys? Were you there when John died? Yes, I held his hand in mine and received its last clasp. After that I did for him all that could be done, and came away. Our mother is ill, and father away from home, so neither Francis nor I returned for the funeral. David, are you sure that John Brownlee died? 
David's face paled before the intensity of the sentence. "'What a question!' he said. "'Do I not tell you that I was with him at the very last, and that I prepared his body for the grave?' "'Nevertheless, he is as much alive at this moment as you are, and full of vigor.' Francis suppressed what would have been a scream, but for David's quick glance toward his mother's door. As it was, her brain reeled, and the room grew dark about her. She had just strength enough left to drop into a chair. Neither of the gentlemen took note of her. They were staring at each other in equally intense excitement. "'What does it mean?' said David at last. "'What are we to think or say? What do they think? Did you see him, Philip?' "'I saw him,' said Philip, struggling to speak quietly. "'I heard him say, Mother, and saw the smile on his face. You do not ask me how it came to pass, David, nor who was there.' "'I have no need,' murmured David. But Frances, who had rallied from her faintness, pressed in her questions. "'Oh, Philip, what happened? Can there be no mistake? Did you go to attend the funeral? Oh, was there a funeral?' begin at the beginning said david how is it that you were there did he come to attend the funeral no we were not to be there at least i had heard nothing of such intention we were going toward the city we twelve who have been with him lately just as we were passing the bend in the road that leads to the cemetery we met the procession i had forgotten about the burial i mean that it was to take place this afternoon you will think that strange but we had had a wonderful day, and I was simply absorbed over the things I had heard and seen, so that all less important matters passed from my mind. When we saw the procession, we halted at a respectful distance to allow it to pass. I stood near him, and was watching his face. Just as those who bore the coffin neared us, he made a step forward, laid his hand on the coffin, and directed them to halt. We were startled and troubled, we knew so much one of our number murmured that it would make him more unpopular than ever to detain a funeral procession and that it was no time to talk to people still he was obeyed the tone was one that men would not be likely to disregard not harsh but commanding at the same moment he turned to mrs brownlee and in a voice of infinite tenderness said do not weep and then francis david he bent over the body and said young man arise what said david springing up in uncontrollable excitement spoke to the dead ay and the dead heard he used a much quieter tone than i am using now an indescribable tone it expressed quiet assurance yet there had been no calling upon god no word of prayer the instant he spoke john sat up smiling and said mother what followed you must imagine human language cannot describe it. There was, of course, the wildest excitement. I had to give attention to Margaret, who fainted, and had to be carried back to the carriage. I saw him, however, take John's hand, and bending over, place it in his mother's, while he spoke a few words intended for her alone. She stood like one transfixed. I do not think she realized at the time that it was John who was speaking to her. The crowd did, however, it increased every moment, and the excitement was intense. We thought he would speak to the people, but instead he signaled to us to come and moved instantly away. Of course they followed us a long distance, shouting themselves hoarse, but he took no note of it. 
a moment of intense silence followed his listeners were too moved for words at last david repeated the words he had used at first what are we to think i do not know said philip drawing a long breath yet his tone was that of one who recognized a turning point in his career that is i do not understand fully indeed i may say i understand very little but this much i am sure of the man who has come into our midst so silently and yet with such power is not merely a man he is more even than the prophets were who used to be among us hundreds of years ago i speak the words reverently and with due consideration of their solemn import it would take but very little to convince me that he is the christ toward whom all our hopes have been turned frances held herself to perfect silence but david uttered an exclamation almost of terror as he said oh philip not that philip turned upon him quickly why not what is our faith or hope do we not believe that he is to come have we not been taught to watch for him is not our bible full of the story has it not been the central pivot of our faith for ages ah that indeed but there is surely no earthly grandeur great enough for that coming one this man is poor and obscure and mingles constantly with the common people i heard but a few days ago that he was reared in a region not far from here his parents it is said are very humble people and he himself has been reared as a carpenter all of this may not be true but portions of it are well authenticated had you heard these things how are they to be reconciled with ideas like those you hint at my friend if i were not entirely sure that you did not speak those words in the spirit in which i heard them spoken but a few days ago dear as you are to me i should cease forever to call you friend what spirit is that asked david more for the purpose of gaining time to quiet his own intense feeling and to give philip a chance to recover himself than because he thought he cared for the answer i heard miss brownlee say with that disdainful laugh of hers your boasted teacher is a mere carpenter who worked every day at his plebeian trade until his ambition was roused to be a reformer or a public character of some sort what is it that he proposes to accomplish besides mischief do you think the tone was more insulting than the words i cannot describe to you how it stung me if she had not been a woman he checked further speech and struggled with his indignation and his pain as for david he had been silenced he had not thought to hear a quotation from miriam there was silence in the room for several minutes then philip spoke again his tone quite changed forgive me david i know you question in no such spirit as that and as for me my spirit is very different from that of him whom i am trying to follow let me explain my position if i can since we have begun this talk i do not profess to understand fully but it is beginning to seem to me that we have been reading our bibles with our eyes shut what can such words as these mean he is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him he was despised and we esteemed him not do they not sound like a commentary on the present state of things david if you were going about the country as i am and could hear the words of contempt and ridicule poured upon this man who has done only good and good continually ever since he came among us 
I believe your soul would burn within you, indignant over his wrongs, and I think you would begin to feel, with me, that perhaps our treatment of him was described hundreds of years ago. At that moment David heard his mother's voice speaking his name, and he went at once to her room, closing the door carefully behind him. It was Philip Nelson's opportunity. He turned to Francis, speaking hurriedly, as one who felt that opportunities were few. Francis, I am afraid you will think this is an inopportune time for the words that I must speak. The conditions are certainly not as I had planned them, but neither is my life in any way what I had planned, and I do not know what is coming. It is because of this uncertainty that I feel I ought not to wait for fitting opportunity. I am sure you know, without a word from me, all that I want to say, and have wanted to for many months. If I had not thought you understood me perfectly, I could not have kept silence so long, hedged in as my way has been. It has been my dearest hope to get my affairs so arranged that I could honorably ask your father to give me the right to shield and care for you. The right to love you above all other earthly loves I took long ago. I also think you understand something of what has lately come into my life and changed everything. No, not everything. It has intensified my love for you and my desire to claim you as my own but the way is more hedged than before. To some it will seem as though I had deliberately hedged it, when it was growing less intricate. I have given up regular work, as you know, I am earning almost nothing, and am under the direct leadership and control of this stranger, who is looked upon with distrust by some, and by many with contempt. Oh, it is worse than contempt. He is hated by those in high places, who are dangerous enemies." I fear sometimes that even his life is in danger. Yet, of my own will, I have joined myself to him, and make his interests mine. Can you understand such an act? If I thought that you could not, I should be indeed miserable. But I have hoped, I have believed. What have I believed? Oh, my friend, do you see how impossible it is for me to say what under other circumstances I could? He had hurried out the words as though they must be spoken, and as though he expected every moment to be interrupted. He waited with an intensity that was almost painful for the girl's reply. Surely stranger wooing never was. Frances still sat in her mother's chair, into which she had dropped when the deathly faintness overtook her. Her eyes were fixed upon him with an intentness that seemed to read his very thoughts. The deadly pallor was still upon her face, but she was not excited, and she did not keep him waiting for reply. "'This is no time for playing with words, Philip. I will speak as plainly to you as you have to me. I do understand you, and have understood for some time. Since you are the man you are, I could do no less. I also think that you understand me. I have not attempted to conceal what you are to me. Why should I? We can pass that part. We understand each other.' but the way is hedged, as you say, more thoroughly hedged than ever before. You know my father, you think, but I know him better. His prejudices are part of his life. Once let them get firm hold, and nothing human can affect them. I had almost said that neither could anything divine. I know he is a man of prayer, but I have seen him rise from his knees with exactly the same feelings with which he knelt, when from my standpoint it should not have been possible to have harbored such feelings and pray at all. Against this stranger, 
who has become so much to you, my father's prejudices have been roused as I never saw them before. The feeling grows upon him. He is more severe in his judgments and stern in his commands with each passing day. I look forward to the time when you will be forbidden the house because you call yourself that man's friend. Philip interrupted her. I know, Francis, I have seen more of the feeling than you think. But it cannot last. It is impossible for such a man to nurse prejudice before such a stupendous deed as has been performed this day. Think of it, a dead man raised to life and vigor by a word. And his voice as he spoke to the mother, telling her not to weep, I wish I could tell you how it sounded. Shall I tell you what I thought of? He hath sent me to bind up the broken-hearted. Do you remember the connection? Does it sound like blasphemy to you, or do you— Oh, Francis, tell me that you understand my thought, and are in sympathy with it. End of chapter 14